Hey everybody, welcome to the MLS DG Podcast. My name is Spencer Smith, I'm here with Evry Gorin, and we are with you for another episode this week as we discuss the U.S. Men's National Team U23 Olympic failure. They did not qualify for Tokyo 2020, 2021, whatever you want to call it. We will not be there with our U23 side. We are going to look, though, at some more positives from the camp, maybe perhaps some winners or losers that we could see as the U.S. takes on a big summer campaign this year as they not only enter Nations League, but compete in the Gold Gold Cup and begin World Cup qualifiers. So there's a lot to unpack there as we go down through the U23 and the senior camp as that camp ended in Europe this last week. But we also want to get back onto some MLS stuff, right? U.S. Open Cup just released how it's going to work, and it's a little interesting, a little different this year, so we're going to break it down for everybody, as well as look at some games that are happening next week, okay? MLS teams playing in important competition games next week in CONCACAF Champions League. We had the heartbreak with LAFC to end last year. Hopefully, we have a new team that can help us get to the Club World Cup. We're going to discuss that and kind of break down the draw for you, but let's get started right at the beginning, like we talked about with the U.S. U23 Olympic team. Avery, we lost. What do you What do you got to say just right off the bat? We lost, right? You can't get around it. It's disappointing but predictable, right? You know, at this point, three times in a row um, to the same opposition – yeah. Uh, disheartened a little bit by the lack of, uh, I guess we'll call it intensity from a number of the players, uh, you know, until maybe the last 15, 20 minutes of the game. Uh, you know, obviously thought that Christ uh, that got his tactics wrong, got his selection wrong, uh, but have to move on, right? You know, don't want to make too, too much of it. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the, the Olympics are a big stage. It's a missed opportunity for exposure, potential silverware, and theoretically development. But let's be honest about what this is, right? This was a second or a third string, you know, primarily domestic-based lineup um, mm-hmm. that lost to an opponent that they probably should have beat. But uh, it doesn't mean anything you know, bigger or long-term about the development of this program, right? Yeah. You know, the Olympics are an under-23 tournament. It's kind of an, a niche thing in a sense. Look, we, we know our, our best starters are in Europe. Our best starters are U23, uh, and they're progressing. Uh, and that's ultimately what it comes down to. Uh, my only qualm is, you know, how many of these guys are going to be part of the Gold Cup roster going forward? Yeah. I think that's the, the big question. Yeah, I would I would agree with you for the most part. I think that there's actually a little bit more importance to the fact that we did not qualify. And and real quick, just kudos to Honduras. Like great great Olympic showing. Obviously, they're going on for a fourth straight time to the Olympics. That's no nothing to bat your eye at. Honduras is a team that I think is one of the nations that we are going to have to be careful with in that World Cup qualifying as well because it's important to remember the last cycle they finished with more points than the United States did, obviously, because we didn't qualify in the tournament before that. They finished with more points than Mexico. I mean, Honduras is a team that we can't just look over, right? They are proving it on the field, and you could see it in their, their display. So kudos to them. We'll have some MLSers, I'm sure, called up to represent them. But you're right. This is this is needs to be seen as a step forward as best it can. I don't think development's the issue here because Jason Christ was in for the cycle. He's out now. It, it wasn't as much about development as it much as it was as perhaps building depth is what I would say. Is the development's been there? MLS academies have been have been needed to rely upon a lot for that because I know there's a bunch of question marks about the younger national teams because I mean there's some ages that don't even have coaches right now so. MLS has done it well being able to help develop these players. So that's not the question here for me, right? It's not the question. I still think it's important because we're America. We try and just do, do the best that we can in every single thing. And you're right that uh, World Cup qualifying teams and World Cup teams in general that are competing for trophies 
are generally showing up in every tournament that they can. But you've seen it with teams in Europe that they're not making a press for the Olympics like other ones like France and Italy, England have all missed out in years previous or even this year, you know, because it's just not as important to them as perhaps World Cup qualifying or even just staying in with Europa League or staying in for their clubs with Champions League. So, I mean, there's a lot of things there, but overall it sucks. It's something that I wish that we had qualified for. It's important, but it's not important enough to dwell upon, right? And so one thing that I think we do need to look at, though, is like who the individuals are who won that tournament. Talk about this concept of, of winners and losers, right? Uh, and there, there's so much focus right now because we have so many games coming up in this in next year going into the summer. And, you know, Berhalter is really trying to... Uh, get a feel for just the the depth of his his player pool right and it's a unique situation you know normally you wouldn't really consider who your third string guys are because you don't play enough games for that to really be a factor but with all this condensed schedule we got going on because of covid uh suddenly becomes a spotlight on guys who probably wouldn't be anywhere near the national team in, in normal circumstances 100 percent I, I think it's going to be an exciting year, if I'm going to be honest. Like, this was a tournament that ultimately wanted to, like, move forward, but it does show the depth being analyzed and looked at. And there are some players that did win, and there are a handful of players that I think just lost. And you can say that it was, oh, Jason Christ's player pool selection, or it could say it was the tactics he employed. We're going to set aside those because we're just going to look the best that we can and not say that, like, you know what? Jeremy Obobese is going to be in the Gold Cup, you know. We want to look at just the people in this camp itself and say, did their stock rise or did it fall? Because this year we've got the Nations League semifinals. We do have a few friendlies. We've got the Gold Cup. We've got World Cup qualifying, right? Honestly, you need to remember that while we have probably our best 11 who's majority playing in Europe, right? The Pulisic, the Des, the McKennies, the Adams they're not going to be able to be released for every single camp, okay? They're not going to be able to be released or even healthy sometimes. And so I think, especially when we look at the Gold Cup, we're going to see, as we typically have in the past few cycles, seen a MLS-heavy side represent the United States in Gold Cup. I think that this depth, the fact that we're not going to Tokyo and that everyone's going to be available for this, shows that we're going to have some of these players, perhaps in the qualifiers, but definitely in Gold Cup. So let's just dive right into it, play, position by position. I, th- I We're going to start in goalkeeper, work our way forward, and just break down whose stock went up, whose went down. So looking at the goalkeeper position, we've got David Ochoa, right, just off the back. JT Marcinkowski, who both played a game. David Ochoa, who obviously played a little bit more. And then uh, we had Matt Fries. So, Ivory, just right off the bat, stock up, stock down. What are we thinking? I think it was a good tournament for the goalkeepers overall. I mean, look, I hope people aren't going to focus too much on that mistake from Ochoa in the Honduras game because what we saw from him in the rest of the tournament, look particularly on his distribution where he made the mistake, uh, is is impressive. This is a guy who's got tremendous reflexes. This is a guy who is good on the ball, which is something that we know Greg Berhalter values. Yeah. Uh, this is a guy who I think is in you know, a very much stock-up situation. Hopefully he'll parlay that into more national team call-ups and into regular minutes with RSL this coming season. Yeah. Um, we're definitely, you know, in, in the conversation, uh, contrary to, you know, a year ago where he was kind of an unknown uh, player, right? Uh, you know, similar situation for Marcinkowski. Obviously, played pretty well in the the one game that he did get. More of a known quantity, you know, starting with San Jose. Um, could be a factor for for the Gold Cup. Uh, I think that the the senior keepers that are domestic based are probably going to have more of a say in that respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're probably going to see you know like Sean Johnson, Bill Hamid, um, maybe even Brad Guzan. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe uh, you know Stefan Fry. I, I do expect Matt Turner to probably be with the the European based guys for the qualifiers and that kind of thing. 
but you know we'll see with, with respect to that one. So I don't know if there's necessarily going to be room for some of the younger MLS keepers. You know, maybe they do take an Ochoa as a third keeper to really get him the exposure and the experience. Um, but you know whether or not they'll be playing a role in these matches going forward, kind of hard to say. Yeah. But at the same time, you know they're they're young, and we know that goalkeepers tend to mature later on in their career. So uh, not super concerned for their long term futures. I think no. two players in particular that have you know bright careers ahead of them. Matt Fries kind of a neither neither stock up nor down situation obviously didn't yeah. play um you know, fortunate to be part of that uh that olympic qualifying squad obviously looked good in in uh, in spots for the union this past season when blake was injured or on international duty um it, look he he's gonna be a good mls goalkeeper i i don't know if this is a guy who's necessarily going to start going forward for the union or really see the national team again. Um, so yeah. kind of a non-factor. Yeah, I think you're going to see Andre Blake go with Jamaica a lot, and Matt Fries is going to be able to play in Philadelphia, get some playing time under his belt, which is important and needed, especially considering Marcinkowski is the starter in San Jose, and Ochoa is the likely starter for Salt Lake. If he's not, then, oh, um, wow, I don't even know what to say, because he did have a really good tournament. I agree. You can't judge him on the one mistake alone. He did really well throughout the whole tournament. He single-handedly kept them in the tournament. Cause remember at the very beginning, had he not made nine or 10 saves against Costa Rica, we wouldn't even have been having this conversation about losing in the semifinals, right? He put them in that position. And so I'm looking at this and as deep as the U S goalkeeper chart is, cause it is pretty deep. Let's be honest. I still feel like there's a little bit of controversy as to who starts behind that one-two spot because I think we can all agree that Stefan, whether or not you like it, is Burhalter's go-to guy. He's the number one guy. Turner is solidifying himself in that number two, slowly but surely. And perhaps you have Ethan Horvath or Sean Johnson here or there. But that number three spot is one that I don't know who takes it, you know? And so this could be this could have been David Ochoa's chance to really solidify, hey, I've got a name. I can prove myself. Here's what it is, you know. And he did really well. Not that Marcinkowski didn't, but I, I think it speaks that Marcinkowski got one game. Ochoa got three, you know. And so moving forward, it wouldn't surprise me if he got called up as that third, maybe second goalkeeper in a Gold Cup roster. Um, I don't expect him in World Cup qualifying because I think he needs more time getting regular playing time, you know, in a in a system at RSL that's going to be able to help him work on the distribution and the shot stopping, you know, that, that he's going to experience on a week-in, week-out basis in MLS League play. But give him a few weeks in the Gold Cup. Get him that exposure because this is a guy that I like moving forward. Not that Marcinkowski isn't. His stock, I think, we know better where it's at. I'm not going to say it rose more than Ochoa's did, but from the goalkeeper position, there's nothing really to complain about, right? Uh, when it gets to the defenders, that's where I think there's some people who really perhaps lost. Um, let's break it down here. Right off the bat, what are you noticing? I, I mean, a lot of these guys weren't really in the picture to begin with, right? You yeah. know? You're looking at uh, a Henry Kessler, you're looking at a Mauricio Pineda, looking at a Justin Glad. Uh, good MLS defenders. Obviously, Glad has kind of made his way up through the U.S. ranks, uh, being involved in the, you know the, the U-20s and that kind of thing. Will he be involved in uh, in a Gold Cup? Maybe, but it's he's probably the most likely one looking at this group. I mean, uh, look. Araujo has a good future ahead of him, but frankly had a bad tournament. Mm -hmm. You know, they they targeted him and he looked exposed defensively at times. Uh, Henry Kessler is still just a second year professional, and maybe he you know carves himself out a good career and, and gets a couple caps here and there. But you know, just too too many guys ahead of him at this point in time. Pineda, look credit to him, he did look better in the second game. Uh, you know, the passing improved. The movement was better, but I, I, I don't think this is a guy we're going to see for the national team. 
Uh, I'm honestly most disappointed with Sam Vines. You know, this yeah. is a guy who impressed in the friendlies leading up to this with the full national team. We know how good he is going forward. We know he can put it across, but kind of abandoned his defensive responsibilities at times this tournament. And, um, almost had the the most most lose out of this group. Yeah, honestly, it was really... It was a disappointing tournament from Vines, especially considering what we had just seen with him at the full national team in the friendlies. Especially considering the fact that of all the positions, when you look at the senior squad that are maybe the big question mark, it's who's starting in the number nine, and then who's the left back? You know, because are we playing Dest over there, even though his natural position's on the right? And then if we do play him in the natural position, do we have Anthony Robinson, who's who is kind of a lot like Vines, who just doesn't track back defensively, even though that's your position as the defense. This could have been a big chance to stake his claim, and he had a good moment in the first game with Costa Rica, but that was his that was his highest moment. And in the tournament, it's not about having one moment at the beginning in the first 30 minutes. It's about where's that moment in the semifinals in the last 20 minutes, you know? It's about a whole tournament process and being able to be there in big moments, and he didn't show up. Uh, I do like his future. I do think he is going to feature more for the national team. It was just a rough tournament, similar to Araujo, who I don't believe is 100%, correct me if I'm wrong, cap-tied to the U.S., he could as technically far as still I know, switch. Olympic qualifying doesn't cap time. Yeah, yeah, so it doesn't cap time. So, so he could still um, switch to Mexico. Frankly, with, with the way he's playing right now, you know, is is this a guy that Mexico even gives looks to? That's a whole nother debate in and of itself. And I think give him a season under Greg Vanny at Los Angeles. And look, he's had a good career for as young as he is. I mean. We're judging him off of the most frequent four or so games after not playing for a few months and the mentality, the altitude, the location. I feel for these guys. Um, I see a lot of progress and potential with Araujo. Maybe Mexico doesn't go after them, but I think Mexico is heavily pursuing dual nationals as well as the United States is. I mean, you see that with the whole Alvarez situation going on right now. Who's going to win? Who's going to lose there? Um don't fully count Araujo in for the for the national team yet. But uh, one name as well on here, because I agree Kessler and Pineda had okay moments. Emphasis on okay, you know. There was a lot of missed passes, missed tackles, maybe a good moment here that like bumped them up. But Justin Glad was the one that you knew was going to be starting in the finals. Justin Glad out of the center backs is probably the only one that you can maybe expect in Gold Cup. And I, and I really say maybe because... It still wasn't a crazy convincing tournament from him. The other name that we haven't talked about, Aaron Herrera, who got his full U.S. men national team debut in January. Uh, kind of that middle, right there, there, you know, kind of a tournament. He wasn't caught out as much as Vines was, um, but he made a few silly mistakes here and there that did cost moments, you know. I, I'm a big fan of him, and I think that he can do well. Uh, and, I mean, he is getting international interest for reasons. I wouldn't be terribly shocked, actually, of all of these players to see Herrera there in a Gold Cup situation because I'm looking at it and it's like, okay, if I'm bringing MLS players, who's my right back that I'm bringing? You know, and that's my well, thing. Her Herrera's a tricky one because, on the one hand... We like the fact that he's versatile, right? He is a domestic yeah. player, so he can make the shot for the Gold Cup. My one concern really is that he, I feel like we're pretty stacked at right back. He didn't look super great at left back in this tournament. Obviously, he's never a guy who's really going to get caught out. He is defensively sound, but knowing what Berhalter wants from his fullbacks getting forward, I don't know if you're necessarily going to play a guy out of position in that left back spot unless you are, you know, a Serginio guest. Um, yeah. Just because of what you ask of your fullbacks. But again, like you said, wouldn't be surprised to see him involved in that Gold uh, gold Cup roster squad. No, um, not at all. Honestly, I think Herrera, out of the defenders, you can make a shout for Vines, too, if I'm being honest, because I think it was just a bad tournament. He has good moments. And the question, again, there goes, if I'm bringing MLS players, who's my left back? You know, because I'm not going to be bringing in a Serginio Dest for 
my gold cup, you know? I'm not going to be bringing in Reggie Cannon and Brian Reynolds who are still trying to make a name for themselves in Europe. For a tournament that is important as it is, it's one that can be and should be handled by our domestic side. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see those two there. Perhaps Justin Glad. The whole Gold Cup roster as a as a whole is going to be really interesting. Just because I don't know the approach that Burhalter is going to make. Okay, am I going to bring a few European guys? And if so, what positions are they in? But uh, for the defenders, that's that's that for, for me. You know, I think the midfield we had... As many questions as there were with the defenders, I think it's pretty clear who won and who lost there. The midfield, it's a little weird because, I mean, you had Mihalovic who got played on the wing and centrally and had very different appearances when he played in both. Uh, Johnny Cardoso, who didn't look good at all throughout this tournament. Hassani Dodson, who was the surprise, who did pretty well, you know, all things considering. And then people like Jackson Ewell, who, for me, no question about it. If he's not at the Gold Cup, that's because he's going to be playing a role in World Cup qualifying. He was the one yeah, midfielder the, that there's no real questions about. The The midfield's tricky, right? Because on the one hand, these guys are a little bit more of a known quantity. I mean, looking at the, the pool as a whole, we know Jackson Ewell is probably the, either the second or the third choice defensive midfielder, so... And that this tournament really just kind of confirmed it for us, right? You know, he was the captain. He's the only one who showed any kind of initiative mm -hmm. in that Honduras game for the most part. Um, this is a guy, definitely a, a situation of stock up. Uh, but frankly, we could see him in, in either tournament. Not really sure whether, yeah. because he is a domestic player, you know, whether he'll be starting at the Gold Cup or seen as, as that backup for, uh, for Tyler Adams. One thing that I want to mention about Yule is the six goals that the U.S. scored in this Olympic tournament, two of them scored by the defensive mid, Jackson Ewell. Okay, it wasn't our forwards that were getting on the sheet. It wasn't our wingers cutting in and getting the shots that we wanted to. Just throwing that out there. Jackson Ewell definitely, definitely, definitely has the stats to prove it. Yeah, no, absolutely. He showed that he, he has that in his locker, which is a great uh, element that we didn't necessarily know about him from a gameplay standpoint. And it really only adds to his value, right? Looking at the, the rest of the midfielders, I mean, look, Johnny's still young. I think he suffered. Look, he did have a bad tournament, but played out of position the entire time. Yeah. Played in, in a system that I don't know if he necessarily knew what was expected from him from Jason Christ. Uh, this is a guy who... I don't know. A lot was, was said of him coming into this tournament. You know, it's not very often that we have guys playing at a high level in Brazil. Uh, so, you know, maybe somebody to, to look at in a couple of years time, yeah. obviously he is still getting regular games in a very competitive league, but purely based on this tournament alone, kind of hard to see him having some involvement in the near future. You know, I know we didn't see much of Tanner Tessman, Obviously, he was uh, a late inclusion because of that uh, early injury. But one of the ones who impressed me the most, quite frankly, 100%. Uh, showed his versatility, showed his desire. I mean, outside of Jackson Yield, probably one of the only guys who was really kind of going at uh, at 100% in that Honduras game. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that he was in a little bit more of an attacking role in that game. We know him to be more of a defensive midfielder. Uh, Dallas just sold Thiago Santos, so I do expect him to get uh, quite a bit more playing time more. this coming season in MLS. Uh, this is this is a guy that could conceivably see Gold Cup action this season, I think. Um, the rest of the guys... Uh, I think Hassani Dotson had a great tournament. I'm not sure where he sits purely based on his age and the fact that we do have so many guys who are kind of box to box yeah. in the grand scheme of the, the, the depth of this pool. Um, you, you know, you could give him a shout for, for gold cup again, back to your point about how Berhalter decides to build this roster. We don't quite know what that balance is going to look like going forward. Uh, but the rest of the guys kind of disappointed, you know, Perea, Great, okay, we got a dual national, right? Yeah. But 
probably one of my biggest disappointments for this tournament. Um, I'm surprised he even played in a holding role throughout this tournament. I got the impression going into it that he is more of a box-to-box guy yeah. based on his, his time, his time in Orlando. Um, look, it, it, you know he's going to get regular game time for them. We'll see how he develops in, in the next couple of years, but I, I don't know if this is a national team guy at the moment. You know, same thing with, with Sebastian Saucedo. Look great in, in flashes, right? But we do have such quality on the wings. Yeah. That And the finished product wasn't there. And that's the thing. The finished yeah. product with Salcedo, as much confidence as there was when he subbed onto a game and he was able to get a good pass or a thing into the final third. But there was also a few times where he just dribbled it out of bounds because as much creativity as he has, it's almost like his feet are thinking a little faster than his head and then he would get caught up and and so the finished product was was lacking there so yeah him i had higher hopes and it was good to see somebody um who's getting time in in mexico being able to get called up again going back to like johnny in brazil because we don't have a lot of those americans represented down there and so i guess a special shout out there but yeah him perea it wasn't their best tournament mihalovic I think he had that really good sub on performance against the what the Dominican Republic, but yeah, it's too inconsistent. I, I don't know what to to make with Mihailovic because on the one hand, they talk about his versatility, but he he didn't look good as a winger in this tournament. You know, I thought his yeah. best time was as one of the box to box guys. Uh, he probably will still can, can continue to get looks just because he's a domestic guy. He is someone who can theoretically play a number of different positions. Uh, look, he, he could do a job as a box-to-box player, but this is not a guy who should be in the rotation as a winger, I don't think. No, I don't I don't think he should have been starting there, especially against Honduras in the, in the semifinals. And, and you saw it. He got subbed at halftime with 11 touches on the ball, right? That, that either speaks to the fact that the midfield wasn't able to get him the ball but also, if you do watch that game, they were able to use the wing, but it wasn't Mihaljevic's side. It was the opposite side with Lewis and Herrera and and whatnot because the they were in the right spots on that side. Mihaljevic, when you watch his positioning as a winger, Burrowhalter likes them like their heels on the end line, you know, really mm-hmm. wide, being able to then cut inside. And and it wasn't there for Mihaljevic. I don't like him as a winger. And we have depth there as it is anyways, so you could argue when it comes to Gold Cup time, that Mihaljevic gets his spot because of that quote-unquote versatility. But that doesn't exist to me. There's more versatile people, in my opinion. Jackson Yule was a better eight than Mihaljevic was, and that's yeah. not even Yule's best position. So, yeah, I, I would rather have Hassani Dodson at the Gold Cup than Georgie Mihaljevic at this point, just from the aspect of I saw the work rate more from Dodson, Granted, it's not as versatile, but honestly, at some point, yes, versatility is important in a tournament, but it's not the end-all say-all. You know, like, you do need this player in this position. Frankly, I thought Dodson looked like more of a winger than Mihailovic did. At times, yeah. And he is a guy who's played in a number of different spots for Minnesota. I mean, he's played all across the midfield. He's played at fullback. Uh, You know, I think too much was made of, of... guys being able to play multiple spots with that roster yeah. and not enough focus on specialists then it, it showed with the lack of creativity in the midfield and, and you know the forward line struggling i think uh, you know we don't want to get too much into it obviously we've we set our piece on 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 christ and our qualms with him i agree with everything that you said there i mean to summarize the people who went up definitely jackson yule definitely tanner tetsman hassani dotson were kind of eh about mahalovic but Johnny Perea and Sacedo just kind of dropped the ball, fell flat when it needed it most. Let's look at our forward position, okay? We only have four guys to look at here. And to be honest, there wasn't a ton of products, end product here because we talk about the, the goals. Jackson Ewell got two of them. When we look at this here, Ferreira is the only forward listed that got on the score sheet. And it was from a rebound in the, in the first game, which... Good finish, and he put himself into promising positions, especially in that first game. But, I mean, he didn't show up against Honduras or wasn't getting the service he needed to. And there's just a lot of questions with these four forwards and productivity. And 
it's it's incredibly frustrating because you look at a guy like Jonathan Lewis. Uh, I think the best way that he was described was he has the pace, but not the quickness of thought. There are situations where he's slowing down to look for the pass, to, to plot out the next move. And if you don't match your physical speed with your speed of thought, then it makes you a much less dangerous player. And we saw that with the lack of end product with him. And I just, I, I question that in terms of his capacity to take it up an extra level and to actually have legitimate end product, both for Colorado and for the full national team. So th- this is a guy that, you know, I'd like to see more of, but frankly, if the end product isn't there, then I'm not sure if he has a national team future, you know, yeah. At least for right we can give the excuse of the situation, right? Because he is only 20 years old. He's been played all over the field at the club level. You know, I, I get that there wasn't a ton of quality around him necessarily in the squad, and he did go missing at times, but I think he's shown enough in his strengths and his capacity to press and, and that combination play of being creative. Because we saw the best and the worst of him, right? You know, we saw his his ability in the goal that he scored, um, and also just with the, the friendly matches that we saw with the full national team. Yeah. Uh, this is a guy that needs more development. I hope that he gets games for Dallas. I'm excited to see what he develops into. Uh, but, yeah, ultimately disappointing tournament. And just a, a young guy who needs and probably will get more improvement. Yeah. I would say, looking at this roster as a whole, I agree with Ferrer. I expect him. Honestly, I didn't mind him. I felt like there were moments... As I said, and as you reiterated, that he did fall into the shadows a little bit. But yeah, the development's going to come. He's produced. And I think that he's somebody that would not surprise me to be at the Gold Cup. Uh, Yeah, I I would have no qualms with him being involved in the Gold Cup. Yeah, no. And I think looking at the other guys, Benji Michelle didn't provide much or anything. Uh, Sebastian Soto, kind of the same thing. It was... Really disappointing because I like Soto and he debuted for the national team back in November, December, whatnot, and got two goals, you know, and and they were nice goals. He was in the right position. He was able to make the right runs. And so I wanted to see that translate here, but it never did. I don't even know if he registered a shot on target in this tournament. And I get that he didn't play as much as Ferreira, but that's saying something. It's it's a tale of two cities, although, because looking at Benji Michel... This is a guy who doesn't even start for Orlando. Yeah. So I, I, I'm, I, I don't really see him making much of an impact going forward. I like Sebastian Soto, like you said. I think the next year is going to be really important for him because hopefully he'll break through at Norwich and get regular playing time. We know what he's capable in terms of the type of player he is, but this is a guy who does need service. He's yeah. not going to create it on his own. And I think that we saw him suffer in spots because of the lack of quality around him in the U23 side, because you don't have much in the way of creativity coming from the midfield. Yeah, no, you I can agree. only do so much with hold up play, right? Mm-hmm. And, and just to, just to say my piece on Jonathan Lewis as well, I flashy at times really quick, but uh, I, I want him to do so much better than he does. He had a lot of confidence, and that's one thing that I liked that I saw from him in this tournament that was different as I saw a confident Jonathan Lewis. Now take that back to Colorado and do something with it. You know, like I want to see him not come off the bench. I want to see you win a starting spot. I want to see you get on the goals and assist sheet more than he has in previous seasons. And and I think Colorado is building to the point that they can do that. And it's no longer of, okay, Jonathan Lewis needs to be have these pieces around him or he needs extra stamina. Now is the time for Jonathan Lewis to show up in Colorado because they have gone out and gotten a few extra pieces. He's more developed as a player himself. He's been called up to multiple national teams because he can produce. But it now needs to be done on a consistent basis. Really wouldn't mind to see him in the in the Gold Cup barring how he does the first month or two of play. Um, definitely not a, a World Cup qualifier guy. None of these forwards, in my opinion, are vying for for a depth spot at this point but when we're looking at gold cup from the forwards i would say ferrera and potentially lewis from this little group here 
everyone's going to have their own opinions, right? Some people win, some people lost. But we have a lot of games this year, right? The U.S. men's national team has a bunch of games this year. Expect some of these guys to, to feature as well as some guys who played across the Atlantic um, against Jamaica and then again against Northern Ireland. We know that they did win 2-1 in that game. Looking at looking as we turn our attention over there, just from the camp as a whole, we're not going to break down the Northern Ireland game as much. It's in the past. It's over. They've returned back to their camps. Everybody knows how that game turned out. But from the camp as a whole, how much of it can we actually learn from? I don't think we should take too too much from it. Uh, you know, first and foremost, I think the quality of opposition makes some of the results deceiving. Uh, you know, this is a Jamaica side that was missing a lot of starters. It was a Northern Ireland squad that was probably at the BC level. Uh, you know, with uh, with an eye toward World Cup qualifying. So, in terms of the the results, you know, try not to to draw too too many conclusions, but. Look, pretty close to our first choice squad together for basically the first time. It's really good to see new options emerging in terms of guys who are new to the national team. Uh, potential new formations and B plans are a big thing too. Obviously, we saw that that three five two or sorry three four three in yeah. uh, in the Northern Ireland game. So. We got what we needed out of a friendly, I think, ultimately. We got to see a certain group of guys together. Greg got to experiment with different players and different tactics. To me, it you know kind of ruled out a couple different guys as well. You know, I don't think going forward that you're going to see a Miazga along in a ream in a back three. No. You know, they're all guys who lack pace with mixed ability when it comes to passing. Um I, I gotta say, I, I I was pretty emphatic about Kellen Acosta after the first game, and considerably less so after the second game. Yeah. But from an offensive standpoint, I mean, look, the the chemistry between uh, Sabacheo and uh, and the wingers pretty early on in that that match. It, you know, this is a guy who's brand great. new to the national team program and already looked comfortable. So it's it's nice to know that we got a real competition on our hands up front yeah it's nice to see that there's a competition developing because i'm sure that when we look at the number nine spot which is probably the one where there's the most questions i mean sibachi that you just mentioned got a lot of playing time dyke uh, uh came on and looked like he was in a score a time or two in his what 20 minutes on the field and then you got other people that you could say we just talked about ferrera but you know altador josh Sargent. I mean, that, that is a competition brew in, in that number nine spot, and that's nice. It's refreshing to see. Uh, I think that, yeah, there's some people that we're not going to see. Again, I still am not going to say, well, Kellen Acosta had one good game and one bad game. When we analyzed that game, I was, I was really impressed, and we both talked about it, but I said that what he had earned was a chance to show it again, and he showed it again a few days later, and I'll give him travel, and he had just played the full 90 before, so he's going to have tired legs against a better competition. I really would not mind seeing Kellen Acosta in a six at a Gold Cup. I really wouldn't. I think you have to have somebody else there um, just because I don't know how well he's going to do because we saw how he did really well and really not. And so there's going to be still an adjustment period, and it'll see how Colorado uses him. But uh, I don't want to close the door completely on Kellen Acosta, even though it wasn't the prettiest game. But you're right. Everything that you said about the back line, there was no pace in that in that back three there. And Miazga has had his shot. Reem has had his shot. I'm a big believer that Long should not be rated as highly as he is. Um, even though he's a great caliber MLS guy, it, that's and not that that's bad. I mean, that's what we had at the last World Cup. But... I really would have loved to have seen Chris Richards, Eric Palmer Brown uh, a little bit more than Aaron Long, who didn't look all that comfortable in either of these games. And so that's just my piece on more of the defensive side. The, the forwards the in the midfield, though, I think we see a lot more stability as we move forward to Nations League. 
Yeah, I mean, looking at the squad, especially if you're going to experiment with a back three, I do think a guy like Eric Palmer Brown and, and like Chris Richards, who plays in a back three system for Hoffenheim, yeah. are probably more of an obvious choice if you're going to experiment tactically. Uh, Luca Della Torre, you know, pleasant surprise, right? Yeah, really good. Would definitely like to see more of him going forward. I- I'm disappointed we didn't get to see Owen Otasawi, uh, if only because. This is a guy who, again, who plays in a back three system for his club. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, same situation with Kristen Kappas. A little bit disappointed we didn't get to see him. This is a guy who is young. He's playing in Denmark, which means that he is a likely candidate for the Gold Cup. We've seen this before where with a lot of these domestic um, either friendlies or with the Gold Cup situation, you do see the guys from Scandinavia get a look just because of the way it matches up with the MLS schedule and the general availability for guys being able to get called in. So for that reason alone, I'm a little bit disappointed that we didn't get to see him. Um, Like you mentioned, the strong, strong forward line. I mean, Daryl DK had probably at least three chances to score in the some 20 minutes that he was on. And he's shown that he's a versatile striker. This is a guy who had some phenomenal movement to get into the positions that he was in. Obviously, you know, a lot has been made out of his athleticism and his ability to retain the ball. Uh, but it's nice to know we have options. Yeah. And it's it's deep options, too. I mean, the these options aren't just like, okay, we have somebody who plays this position and can fill this spot on the field. And great, let's just check this marks and move on. We have people that can produce in the position, right? That's what's different about this U.S. team is we've had people being able to play a position, right? Realize that a few years ago, our our right back was Tony Beltran, who played for a year and represented the Gold Cup. And I love Tony Beltran, but his peak was as a starter in, in an RSL back line that has gone up and down, you know? Now it's Serginho Dest and Reggie Cannon and Brian Reynolds. And those are just three, right? And then if we were to get into everybody in MLS who's available or in other leagues, and that's just one position, right? We have players that are being able to play all these different positions, but being able to produce in all these different positions. And that's something that I think the U.S. hasn't had the luxury of before. I'm not saying that we're going and we're bagging 10 goals a game. Right, I mean, we got two against Northern Ireland, one off of a penalty, but we're having people being able to create. You're able to see Pulisic feel a little bit more comfortable and a little bit of creativity with him and Dest and Musa doing really well, being able to dictate the flow of the game. It's going to be really nice when we have confident Pulisic, who's still like, you could see it up, but take it back to Chelsea, reclaim your starting spot. Also, Giovanni Reyna looked out of sorts this tournament. Um, I expect him to continue to play a role in Na- uh, in Nations League. Um, I expect him to have competition with Tim Weah, who would have really been fun to watch this tournament. Like, a lot of fun. Because he's been doing so well in France. And definitely somebody who could jump right into a starting lineup there on, on that wing opposite of Pulisic. So, it's nice to see that we do have all these options. If I'm going to pose you a question... When we have Nations League coming up, now remember, we have a friendly against Switzerland May 30th, and then June 3rd, we play Honduras, funny enough, in a semifinal in Nations League. The thing with this that I think is really interesting is Burhalter said that I he scheduled a friendly in Switzerland against a tough competition with Switzerland, you know? So that way, he could see the mentality and the physicality of players for when we're in World Cup qualifying and for when we're in a World Cup and I have to ask these guys to fly and then play a game two days later. So he's trying to mimic that now, which I think is smart to do a year and a half before we have the World Cup in Qatar. So you can expect Nations League, this roster, to be pretty close to what we're going to get for World Cup qualifying. What are some names that you want to keep an eye of that maybe made an appearance in this camp? I think a number of these guys, because the biggest thing between now and World Cup qualifying, and frankly, between now and the actual World Cup, is how many reps can we get for these young guys together? Because we already have a great basis to start off of in the fact that we have the most talented generation we've had in possibly ever. 
with a bunch of guys who have that initial chemistry of having played together throughout the youth national team levels and who clearly like each other, who clearly understand the significance of the time period that they're in as players, get them as many games together as possible and let that comfort grow and, you know, the sky's the limit, right? The Obviously, the I'd say the midfield three is, is the biggest part of that, right? Yeah. You know, th- there are so few times in the last couple of years, despite all the hype over some of these players that we've actually gotten to see them together, you know, whether it's Tyler Adams, whether it's Weston McKinney, whether it's Christian Pulisic, and now obviously Eunice Musa coming into the mix, Giovanni Reina coming into the mix, it, always one one or two of them seems to be missing, right? Yeah. If we can get all those two guys together on the field for once, especially ahead of a situation where, look, Nations League, say what you will about it, at the end of the day, it's a trophy. Yeah. Yeah, that's really what it is. I still think it's a good chance. And if we win against Honduras, it's likely that we play Mexico in the final. And I think that's just a fun game in general. But you're right. At the end of the day, it's a trophy. But it's a chance for us to really be able to test and prepare for World Cup qualifying. Because this Honduras team likely going to be the same Honduras team that we see in World Cup qualifying. Potentially, if we can advance, Mexico is what we're going to see in World Cup qualifying. And so this is a chance, if we can get all those guys on the field, and it was nice to see a lot of them come together this tournament. Had COVID regulations not been a thing, I, we would have it would have been nice to have seen more, you know, being able to come in. But we got what we got, and we're going to get more in the future, and that's just the mindset that we got to have. And so, honestly, a lot of promise from these guys. When we get rosters broken down, excuse me, released to us in May, we'll be sure to break it down a little bit more as to what we can expect from the guys there. I expect a pretty similar roster release. I expect maybe instead of like those uh, two or three MLS guys, I think we'll probably have four or five, but they'll be... Maybe not Kellen Acosta and said maybe a Jackson Yule. Sebastian Leggett, I expect, will be there again because he did have a solid performance this camp. camp uh, this camp. And, and maybe a few kind of surprises there to bring in some depth along the way because it is going to be form. It is going to be who's in shape, who's ready. But honestly, bright days are ahead for the U.S., right? Really bright days are ahead. Absolutely. You know, Looking at some of the guys who ne- weren't necessarily in that camp, it, it, it's about as close as you can get, right? You know, ideally would like to maybe see Matt Turner in that group. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we know maybe uh, uh, like a Walker Zimmerman or a Miles Robinson if we're looking at domestic guys. Obviously, Tyler Adams had to miss out because of the uh, the regulations. West McKinney through injury. Uh, you know, would like to see Wea in there. Uh, outside of that, it, it's pretty much yeah it's as a pretty close solid to the, the best 23 as we've had yeah i think that it's uh it's been really fun to watch them really fun to watch some new guys break into that camp with daryl dk still trying to make his claim for a spot there sabachu as we talked about sergeant obviously in that nine but also uh brendan aronson you know being able to come in luca de la torre there's just some real quality there and it's important to note that at the beginning of that camp, we had more than the 23 allowed. So we are going to have, well, they finished with 23 because we had to send some people home for COVID regulations. So how close to that lineup do we get? Because there are going to have to be some tough calls. It's going to be interesting because I do agree. I think that there are some people in MLS like Matt Turner. I, I rate Zimmerman more than long you know, that could make a play to get into that final roster for Nations League and really put a flag down to be represented in World Cup qualifying. So it's just going to be, it's going to be exciting next month when we have that before us. But let's kind of, let's turn our attention a little bit stateside. We spent a lot the past two or three podcasts looking at these Olympic games, looking at these senior camp games. But guys, MLS, two weeks away, but MLS teams play. In Champions League, CONCACAF Champions League next week. Okay, that's a huge thing. Also, this week, the U.S. Open Cup regulations were announced. And with a new twist, 
the American-based MLS teams, this is big to me, the American-based MLS teams with the best record through the first three games of the season will compete for U.S. Open Cup, right? You can talk about how prestigious it is, but you're booking a ticket to Champions League. You're booking a potential ticket to be in the club World Cup, right? This is not a, a joke trophy. This is, as we all know, one of the oldest tournaments that we have, one of the most respected ones. And so there's a lot of importance that comes from it. So let's just kind of talk about what this format for the Open Cup will mean. And then let's just dive in and finish it off with the CCL draw. Who's got the toughest one? What do we expect from these teams such as Portland, Columbus, Philadelphia, Atlanta, Toronto? But, uh, Avery, we talk about the Open Cup. What, what kind of jumps out at you there with that new rule change, format change? So there's a couple different things, right? So starting off in the round of 16, so they're already, you know, jumping ahead. kind of really, you know, it, it's unfortunate because it means fewer lower division sides, which is really what this tournament is about in many ways, that opportunity to play giant killer right, but... Um, looking at the, the situation with MLS teams, top eight, right, based on points per game through three matches, as you mentioned, um, it's a real predicament for the teams currently in CCL. Yeah. Because, you know, not only do you have to think about those matches, but there are a number of teams in CCL that usually like to make a run at open cup i mean philadelphia are three times runners up atlanta are the most recent winners these are teams that typically would prioritize a tournament of this nature but you have to think about historically what's happened with ccl teams in the beginnings of the mls season right you're usually playing rotated sides you're usually playing b sides because you know ccl is you know keep your eyes on the prize so looking at some of the lower division stuff too it's a little bit wonky uh USL championship teams that qualified are the ones who were in the semifinals of the playoffs last year, El Paso, Louisville, Phoenix, Tampa, uh, the, the third division sides in NISA champion, Detroit, USL league one champion, Greenville triumph, and then two open spots for basically the amateur teams left, which is more clubs than most in this country basically decided on uh, a random draw. Yeah, it's so um you know for for open cup purists and for folks who like to see kind of non-MLS teams get some some eyeballs uh it's it's a real shame this year. Yeah. Especially cuz that's one of the biggest things we're able to see into the markets in those places. You could look back at Cincinnati before they entered the league, we were able to see the ridiculous atmosphere that they were able to bring in a US Open Cup where they were able to have a few surprise wins. Uh, same could be said about Phoenix, who's been able to bring a good showing in the culture there. So it's going to be a shame to not see it as much. However, I think this change, when we look at it from a purely MLS perspective, it's, it's a mixture of frustrating and exciting. Because kind of like last year, how we had the bubble, and there were those three or so games that not only did they now play in for the MLS tournament, you know, into those group stages, but they also directly impacted your regular season game. So they all of a sudden became six point games, you know, being able to like really stake your claim in, in the league and in the, in the tournament, we're going to kind of have the same thing here. And especially because there's so many inner conference games. Now, this is, this is a huge way to like rip off a rival and being able to put yourself in a better position for a trophy, to get yourself in a better position to be represented in CONCACAF Champions League. So I think this is a big deal. You already hit on the head, though, that those play uh, those teams that are already being represented, who kick off most of them next Tuesday or Wednesday, they're going to have a really hard time. Uh, so let's kind of let's look at some of those teams that we may have there. Uh, we have, if correct me if I'm wrong, but we have five teams represented. From MLS in CONCACAF. We've got Portland Timbers, Atlanta United. Don't even get me started on why they're there, but they're there, so we're just going to roll with it, right? Then we got Philadelphia Union, your reigning supporter Shields champions, Toronto, and then, of course, your MLS Cup winners, the Columbus Crew. Uh, when we look over these these uh, draws, though, they've got kind of some tough competition here, you know, against some like Saprissa or Lyon. So, so when you look at it, Avery, what, 
what are you noticing about kind of the draws that these teams are having to face in CONCACAF? So on the face of it, Toronto versus Lyon is probably the toughest matchup, right? They're the only Mexican side that an MLS team has to play in this initial round. Uh, you know, runners up in 1993 for CCL. They did win uh, Liga and Mekis last season, both the regular season and the, the playoffs. But uh, not in good form right now. They're ninth place in, in Liga uh, and Mekis. Uh, still with some dangerous guys. You know, look out for Angel Mena. Victor Davila, Gene Meneses. Uh, this could be tricky. Obviously, we don't know what to expect from Toronto still with a new coach. Uh, but on the flip side, probably the most experienced MLS team going into the CCL yeah. situation. You know, they've been to the final once. This is still very much the core of guys who have been to multiple MLS Cup finals. Uh if anyone could beat a Mexican side in this current situation, conceivably it could be them. Uh, from a practicality standpoint, I think Philadelphia is Saprisa is probably going to be the toughest one. Yeah, that's the one I was going to point. Because are undergoing an injury crisis. They basically have no CCL experience. Uh, I mean, Jim Curtin was in it as a player with Chivas USA. Uh, but outside of that, I, I don't think... Uh, Bedoya has ever been a part of, uh, no. of CCL. Um, I mean, looking at guys like Blake, they've played some of these guys for the national team, but uh, it's it's tricky because not only do they have that lack of experience, but they don't have any fit forwards right now. Yeah. They're literally playing kids and, and midfielders up top in friendly matches, uh, you know, for, for preseason. And the one... Uh, positive you can say is that they do have to go to Costa Rica to begin with. So if they yeah. can, you know, go to, go to Costa Rica, hunker down, get a draw, maybe get an away goal, just survive, right? Get to the next game, get it done at home when hopefully you have a couple of your players back from injury. Yeah, because Saprissa is not a joke. They've knocked out a few MLS teams in the past, and I expect them to be a really big challenge, especially as you already said it. Philadelphia is not. Not in form, because obviously we're in preseason, but also they're missing any kind of an attacking threat. We've seen a lot of MLS teams, and the same can be said vice versa, where when they go play away in this, it's not about, I'm going to get the away goals. It's about bunker in the 18, no balls coming in. We are clearing everything. It's kind of a survival game. Philadelphia is going to be missing Mark McKenzie. They're going to be missing Brendan Aronson. This is post-life for them. And so not only do they have questions up front, They've got questions there too. I I agree that I think out of all of these opening games, this is the toughest matchup. Not not really a clear indicator on who wins this one as perhaps maybe some other ones. It's going to be a really good game, but kind of that game that you're never going to be crazy comfortable in. So this series is going to be yeah, I, just that. I do I do think we have to give some credit to Saprisa. They are the most successful non-Mexican side in this competition. A lot of familiarity with MLS teams. I mean, head coach Roy Myers played for the Galaxy and the Metro Stars. There's a lot of familiar faces on this roster. Christian Bolaños, Kendall Walston, David Guzman, even a couple lesser-known guys who played in a little bit in USL, Aubrey David, Orlando Sinclair, Walter Cortez. Um, the big thing about this matchup and Atlanta versus Alajulense <laughs> is that they can avoid uh, a Mexican team in the next round. That's the only pathway for this current uh, edition of the tournament, where if they get past this particular opposition, they won't have to face a, a Mexican team on that side of the bracket. So I think that's huge going forward as well. Yeah, that's huge because where has MLS been knocked out? It hasn't been from these other countries, historically speaking. It's been from Mexico. Mexico has been like the Achilles heel for any United States team in this tournament. And I mean, you saw the whole crushing defeat that LAFC had in the finals, right? And that's happened before with Salt Lake and Toronto where they've, where they've just, you're able to get past so many, but it's a Mexican team in the end that's able to just knock you down. So it, that is a huge thing. Uh, that yeah. is something that really needs to be, because it's not just about this game. This is, again, this is a tournament. There are two legs, but we then have another two legs, right? And so this is about 
this is about a trophy. No, this is about setting history because no MLS team has been able to really do well in this tournament. So they do have a big advantage right there with that bracket advantage. From a positive perspective, though, I would say, look at Columbus versus Real Esteli. Uh, look, it's Real Esteli's first time past the group stage. They, in 12 attempts, have never beaten an MLS side. Uh, champions from Nicaragua don't know much beyond that, but yeah, I don't either. Probably, if any if anybody can do it, it is probably Columbus in terms of just the sheer depth of that squad this season. Um, Portland yeah. potentially with uh, the Knights matchup too. They play um, Marathon of uh, of Honduras. Some interesting names in that squad. Uh, I don't know if anybody remembers Carlos Costley. He's been uh, a name that's been around for forever. In terms of the Honduran national team, uh, I don't think he played in MLS, but he is a name that seems to come up quite a bit. Um, you know, they've also got Kervin Ariaga, who's one of the stories of the, the Honduras squad uh, that just played the U.S. in the Olympics qualifying. Um, did miss that match through yellow card suspension, but uh, potentially tricky, uh, but probably. A safe pathway for Portland, if we Manageable. had to guess. They're, they're also probably one of the lesser banged-up teams in terms of the MLS sides going into this. Yeah, especially because uh, we'll I see think... what happens. I mean, Sebastian Blanco, right, coming back from that injury. We know, uh, I think it's Nia's Gauda had that injury right toward the, the end of last season. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's tough to kind of pick out with some of these. Yeah, if they can have a, a healthy Sebastian Blanco, which I'm not sure if they will by maybe this away game uh, to begin things, but perhaps maybe the home game, because I know that they said that he should be ready for the start of the season. Uh, so maybe he's able to feature or at least get some minutes because that would be huge. But uh, of all these teams, I think you you hit it on the head with Columbus being the one that if you're looking for an easier game, I'm going to say easier because with CONCACAF Champions League, like... There's been so many times where we're like, okay, this is a game that we're going to win, and then we just lose. We just don't show up, right? Uh, so if you're looking for an easier game for an MLS side to theoretically do well, that's their game. That's the game for you to watch would be Columbus there because they have the depth. You need to remember the acquisitions that they made. Not only did they just win MLS Cup, but then they went out and got people like Perry Kitchen, who's not going to grab headlights, but headlines, but just a solid guy. You grab Kevin Molino, who is going to grab some more headlines across the Caribbean because man was on fire last year. And you already couple him with Pedro Santos, Lucas Elirion, Giassi Zardes, Eloy Room. And and also their center back, Worm, Worm Gore, is back. And so they've got, they've got depth in Columbus. They're going to be able to do really well at the start of the season. And so of all these games... I am definitely the most nervous about Philadelphia, even Toronto, but I think that there's a lot of positives um, and a lot of things to look forward to, I should say. Big prediction. Do we see an MLS team winning this this year? I think that we see an MLS team in the finals. I really think that there is a good chance that Columbus is going to be the team to prioritize and do things right. I think Atlanta, you see, you see that they didn't let their players go to the Olympics showing that like, Hey, we are, we want our full strength lineup, but I think that they're just going to trip themselves up in the end. Uh, I still have questions on their roster lineup as a whole, just as good as it is. It's now a little bit shaky and unproven in some places and, and Philadelphia and Toronto just have hard stretches, you know? So it's just going to be, if they can get past that, but I would say, yeah, I would say I, if I was betting money right now, I think Columbus is the team. That, uh, to keep your yeah. eye on. I, I tend to agree. I think Columbus, just that, that depth is such a huge factor. Do have to give credit to Atlanta. Uh, I, I do think that they looked good in the CCL matches last season. Um, you know, we saw the emergence of a guy like Jackson Conway. There are still some questions around that squad uh, and whether or not Joseph is going to be back 100% going forward. And they do have a potentially tricky draw against this Costa Rican side. I mean, look, Johan Venegas 
is a name that MLS teams are very familiar with. Brian Ruiz, obviously, yeah, probably the biggest name in Costa Rican soccer. Uh, even Alexander Lopez, who was kind of a flop for the Houston Dynamo. Uh, these, this is, uh, is not a team to, to mess around with, you know? Yeah, you're right. This is not a team to mess around with at all. I, I'm excited to just have MLS back. I'm excited to have some CONCACAF Champions League to watch, especially as we're getting ready to kick off the MLS season as a whole in a few weeks. But just good things all around, guys. Really good things. We're really excited about the direction this is going. Be sure to tune in for the for these games. Kickoff first game is for Portland on Tuesday next week. And then we've got games Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, followed by the second legs the following week. Really good stuff, guys. We appreciate you being able to tune into the MLS DG podcast. If you guys have anything that you want us to talk about as we move forward and things that you want us to highlight, be sure to be a part of our Facebook page. Just search Major League Soccer Discussion Group. You can join over 23,000 members in discussing all things soccer. And feel free to share with us what you want discussed on this podcast because this is and always has been for the fans, by the fans. We love you, everybody. Have a great night.